My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Alison Clancy and Jesse Taylor. Alison Clancy had a long history of doing work, both academic and then in a provincial government office, focused on combating human trafficking. While she was doing this work, there was something about it that didn't quite add up. But it was only after she started working at Swan Vancouver, that's short for Supporting Women's Alternatives Network, that she was able to pinpoint what. Swan is a sex worker support organization based among migrant and immigrant women who do indoor sex work, who in Vancouver are primarily Asian. It was working directly with and listening to those women that allowed Clancy to finally make sense of it. According to the dominant stories about sex work, that is, the stories that currently inform the Canadian state's approaches to sex work and to trafficking, all women involved in it are coerced, and by extension all immigrant or migrant women involved in it have been trafficked. Actually listening to the experiences of migrant and immigrant sex workers, however, shows that this is a highly inaccurate picture and that trafficking is not a useful frame for understanding the experiences of most sex workers. As well, it points to the need for a very different political response to both sex work and trafficking. There seem to be a number of reasons for the hold that these dominant stories have over the public imagination. For one thing, they are consistent with and reproduce stigma and stereotypes about sex work, as well as racist stereotypes about Asian women, that deny the complex, multifaceted lives that migrant and immigrant sex workers lead. As well, certain institutions and certain political groups seem to be invested in using public horror about trafficking to legitimize a certain set of policies and practices that actually mostly target non-trafficked sex workers in harmful ways. Of course, migrant and immigrant sex workers do face many barriers and challenges that constrict their choices, and they are quite vulnerable to violence. But by and large, those are the same barriers and challenges faced by most people who are some combination of racialized, poor, migrant, and gender-oppressed, and what they really need is social justice along all of those axes, access to good working conditions, and a strong system of social supports. To the extent that they do face specific vulnerability to harm and violence, it is mostly because of the ways that stigma, criminal law, the police, and the immigration system make them vulnerable by both harming them directly and by making it dangerous for them to seek help when they are harmed by others. Swan Vancouver uses the word crimigration to describe this targeting at the intersection of the criminal legal system and the immigration system. Clancy is the executive director of Swan Vancouver. In this interview, she speaks about the overall work of the organization to support migrant and immigrant sex workers, but particularly focuses on their advocacy work. Along with policy advocacy aimed at the decriminalization of sex work, and at changing the ways in which the immigration system makes the lives of the women they work with precarious, 
they also focus on challenging those dominant narratives about human trafficking and the misguided programs and policies that result. In particular, she talks about their work to challenge Operation Northern Spotlight, an annual national law enforcement action that is ostensibly a response to human trafficking, but that, according to Clancy, mostly has a detrimental impact on sex workers while doing little, if anything, to address trafficking. Jessie Taylor is the research programs manager at Swan Vancouver. One part of her work with the organization has been facilitating a PhotoVoice project. Originally a research methodology, PhotoVoice gives people tools to take photos and use them as a focus for telling stories about their own lives. In 2018, Swan invited five migrant and immigrant sex workers that they had worked with before to be a part of the project. Over the course of four months, these women took photos of their lives, got together regularly to discuss them, and gradually put together an exhibit. Together, these photos and stories present their authors as thoughtful, complex, active, three-dimensional human beings, very different from the one-dimensional stereotypes of migrant and immigrant sex workers that are the basis for so much of our public discourse around sex work and around trafficking. Thanks to support from the city's Queer Arts Festival, the exhibition can be seen at the Sun Gallery in Vancouver between January 8th and February 7th, 2019. I speak with Clancy and Taylor about the work of Swan Vancouver, about its advocacy around things like Operation Northern Spotlight, and about the group's PhotoVoice project. My name is Alison Clancy. I'm the executive director of Swan Vancouver Society. Swan is a sex work support organization supporting newcomer, migrant, and immigrant women who do sex work. These women are involved in indoor sex work, in massage parlors, private residences, and condos and apartment towers. I had lived in Asia for a number of years, and while I was there, I was introduced to the sex industry. I think like many travelers in Asia and other countries, when they see aspects of the sex industry, they may think that it's human trafficking because human trafficking is often the only narrative, the only language that's available for the most part to talk or think about the sex industry. I returned to Canada with an intention to work on issues related to human trafficking. So I went to school, did a couple of social work degrees, did graduate research on human trafficking, worked in a provincial office to combat human trafficking. But all that time, something just wasn't adding up for me. I came to volunteer at SWAN, and it was my experience directly working and supporting immigrant and migrant sex workers that it all made sense, that actually what we were looking at were issues related to the sex industry and not human trafficking at all. So through my experience, I became a sex work activist and really began to see the harms of many mainstream human trafficking initiatives. What they're all about are really addressing concerns about women in the sex industry but communities, police, and others just really don't have the depth of knowledge about the sex industry to address it in any other way than through harmful trafficking initiatives. My name is Jessie Taylor, and I am the Research Programs Manager with Swan Society Vancouver. I also teach up at UBC in the Gender, Race, and Sexuality and Social Justice Department. I did my doctoral research in ethics and religious violence and sexual violence in conflict zones. So thinking about violence, thinking about sex and sexuality, thinking about migration and exploitation and bodies and borders has long been something that I've been doing at an academic level. And then as an activist, I'm a reproductive justice activist and a sexual health educator for many years out east. 
And so Swan's work is really meaningful to me. The trafficking narrative assumes that women, and it is a very gendered narrative, because when you involve male, trans, or gender diverse individuals in the sex industry, the narrative really falls apart. So it's a gendered narrative that assumes that all women in the sex industry are coerced or forced. And this does a couple of things. I think it makes a very uneasy, uncomfortable topic, more digestible for the general public. It also creates a position from which the general public can do something to help. The general public, because the sex industry is so very complex, often can't identify a role as a helper with sex workers. But if someone is conceived to be a traffic person, then options to address human trafficking are much more available. And I think it's just easier for them to believe that these women are there by force, not of their own volition. So it just makes it that much more palatable for everyone. Swan began in 2004. There was a HIV research project in Vancouver at the time. The researchers were really curious as to whether immigrant and migrant women working in the massage parlors had access to HIV testing, treatment, and care. They teamed up with a number of Asian women, some experiential and the others non-experiential, to start doing outreach to the massage parlors. What they found when they talked to the women working in massage parlors that the issues that they would like to have addressed were much broader than health issues. So they were being asked questions about immigration. They were asked questions about accessing social services. They were asked questions about accessing the criminal justice system. So the need was identified for a service to be created to address the women's needs that were much beyond health or specifically HIV issues. So SWAN operated as an outreach service to massage parlors for quite a few years. But then in 2014, in addition to the physical in-person outreach that we still do, we created an online outreach program. This was to meet the need of an ever-changing sex industry where more and more sex work is being done online, behind closed doors, and not so much on the street or in licensed businesses such as massage parlors anymore. In addition to the direct services, we do a lot of systemic advocacy. This really comes out of our work on the ground because we see that it's the systems and structures of power that are creating vulnerability for these women. This is something that's quite misunderstood about immigrant and migrant women in sex work. Oftentimes, people think that the vulnerability comes from the individuals themselves, and this is often based on racist perceptions of Asian women in sex work, is that they're passive, submissive, docile, and this really hasn't been our experience whatsoever. The vulnerability is actually created by the state in a number of ways. Swan does a lot of work addressing crimmigration, so the convergence of immigration laws and criminal laws, such as prostitution laws or anti-trafficking laws, and the ways that these are enforced on the bodies of migrant and immigrant sex workers. One clear example of this would be Operation Northern Spotlight, That's a national law enforcement rescue mission based, again, upon the assumption that women in the sex trade are trafficked and, in particular, upon the racist 
stereotypes about Asian women in the sex trade that they don't have agency, they can't take care of themselves and need to be rescued by police officers. Explain more about crimmigration. The women that we serve have virtually no access to any criminal justice recourse if they are victims of a crime. How this unfolds on the ground is that, first of all, the women may have precarious immigration status that in some way makes it illegal for them to be working in the sex trade. In 2012, the federal government repealed work visas for dancers or exotic dancers. And really, it was benevolent paternalism in that these women don't know how to take care of themselves. They can easily be exploited. So we'll close the door to women coming from other countries to work in the sex industry. Now, we know that there are still many women coming to Canada to work in the sex industry, but what the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act has done is driven all of those women underground. So they're still here working, but they have absolutely no rights as non-citizens. Predators know this, and these women are targeted because they know that these women often do not go to the police because, first of all, because of their precarious immigration status, Police will contact Canada Border Services Agency to identify them and to inquire about the type of status that they have in Canada. At that point, the women are arrested, detained, and deported. If they do have status that they can legally work in Canada, what often happens is that the investigation suddenly flips and it's not about the rape or robbery that happened anymore, but about the woman's involvement in sex work. Canada's prostitution laws are so overbroad right now that it makes it illegal to work safely and with others in the sex industry. So if the police don't penalize the women based on the immigration laws, then there are a host of anti-trafficking or prostitution laws that they can draw on. Explain more about Operation Northern Spotlight and about the advocacy work that SWAN does. Operation Northern Spotlight was a national law enforcement action. In earlier years, it was carried out in a shock and awe raid and rescue way. Our organization has been addressing these types of raids for over a decade. Nowadays, police officers are catfishing sex workers online. So they're pretending to be clients or customers of sex workers arranging dates in hotels. When a sex worker shows up at a hotel expecting a date, she's met with a room full of armed police officers. This is really an egregious action. I think one way people can think about this is we know that intimate partner violence exists, but we don't have police knocking on the doors of all married women in the middle of the night busting in as armed police officers asking women, are you abused? Are you abused? Well, you must be abused because you're married. This is very frightening and traumatizing, and it's just not the way that we address these type of issues. However, for some reason, police officers are addressing concerns about women in the sex industry in this manner. Any type of operation that at its premise is set up on manipulation and deception is not a way to build a relationship. There's no evidence that this type of shock and awe rescue mission is generating the convictions or the court cases to justify its existence. We also see how police inflate the numbers of human trafficking to justify the resources being spent. 
the Canadian public is led to believe that human trafficking is an epidemic and that it's much more prevalent than it actually is. So it's a harmful law enforcement action. It's counterproductive because it's creating more fear of police officers. Police aren't interested in hearing this critique. And I think that really speaks to what Operation Northern Spotlight is really all about. We feel it's more about eradicating the sex industry, which is a completely different thing than addressing human trafficking. And it's also about keeping the tap flowing of anti-trafficking money, which is really padding a lot of police agencies right now. Eradicating the sex industry is not the job of police. For anyone transitioning out of the sex industry, that is a process. It's not an event. By police forcing women out of the sex industry in a raid and rescue mission, it actually has the potential to put them in a more precarious position. Police do not have the soft skills nor the understanding of the nuances of the sex industry to facilitate a safe transition out of the sex industry. In July 2017, SWAN started a campaign against Operation Northern Spotlight. It was some of the first critique that was publicly being made against this raid and rescue mission. And since that time, it's become a national campaign that more and more sex workers and sex work support organizations and allies such as academics and others in the community have gotten behind. We also speak to the federal government. This past fall, we spoke to public safety and encouraged them to look at where the money that's being spent on anti-trafficking initiatives is going and if it's effective or not. What we tried to explain was that no matter how much money you give to police or how much training, if you don't address this core issue of women in the sex industry being afraid of police, police not taking their reports seriously, you're not going to get anywhere with this money. You're just throwing it to the wind. So that was the input that we gave on Canada's new human trafficking national action plan. In the spring, there was a human trafficking task force that traveled across the country. And again, we highlighted that the current legal framework, particularly for migrant and immigrant sex workers, is actually creating the vulnerability which contributes to the proliferation of human trafficking in Canada. What we really advocate for is a model of community policing. So instead of that raid and rescue effort once a year, what we would like to see is that for the entire year, police get to know sex workers, respect sex workers, engage sex workers into anti-trafficking initiatives so that in their time of need, if they actually do experience violence or exploitation or trafficking, the relationship is already there, the trust is already there, and they would be much more inclined to call upon police officers to report the violence that is perpetrated against them. Police have shown no interest whatsoever in building relationships in this way, and more importantly, they do not see sex workers as equal partners in this fight against human trafficking. This is most unfortunate because sex workers are working on the ground. They know who the predators are, but police just are not interested in respecting the knowledge and expertise of sex workers in this way. And until this happens, 
police will continue these failed and tired strategies to address human trafficking. And Jesse, tell me about Swan Vancouver's Photo Voice project. The Photo Voice project started with two photos that were taken back in 2016 when we had outreachers who were visiting people in massage parlors. And one day there was a, a photo that had been taken. One of the people had gifted a massive carrot and this huge beat, and the outreach worker had snapped a photo of it. And it had been grown in the garden of one of the massage parlor workers, and they'd explained that they have a community garden plot and all the things that they do. And then another time, outreach workers were visiting someone and they were talking about their water filtration side business that they had going on and this really special water filtration system and how they'd learned to do it and they traveled to learn how to do it better. All of these pieces were these really interesting stories about people's lives that were not even close to the stories that people were telling about what migrant sex workers' lives looked like. And so we thought that it would be really interesting if we could share some of these conversations, share some of these stories, share these other aspects of people's lives, if we could address mixed conceptions about who migrant and immigrant sex workers are through helping and enabling immigrant and migrant women tell their own stories and tell stories about other aspects of their lives. The Photo Voice Project doesn't actually center on a lot of the work part of people's lives. It actually focuses on all of the other aspects of people's lives, how they build home, where they travel, what they like to do, stuff with their families. There's a real problem in the stories that we often tell about sex work, and especially migrant sex workers, that are very much like snapshots, except they're not snapshots taken by migrant sex workers. They're just these really one-dimensional or two-dimensional concepts of what people are and who people are. They're stereotypes. So this project lets people add some more dimension to that. It's really hard to tell a simple story when there's all this vibrant, complex, interesting stuff that people are telling you about their lives. We have five participants who decided to work with the project and tell stories. Over a period of about four or five months, people took photos. They decided on the themes and the kinds of photos that they wanted to take. They would get together once a month to talk about what photos they had taken, share what had been thought about last time and what they'd built on, and also to tell stories about the photos they took and why they took them and where they had taken them. So the participants decided, you know, which photos stay in and which ones were most valuable and which ones told the most helpful stories. In addition to taking the photos and deciding the themes of the photos and the directions of the photos, they also decided on the theme for the exhibition and the title of the exhibition, which I think is really powerful. The exhibition is called Chocolate or Chicken Bones, and it came out of a comment from one of our participants that said, people think that we're like chocolate, that we're sweet and you can just swallow us and consume us, but we're not chocolate. You can't just swallow us and forget about us. We're like chicken bones. We'll stick in your throat. And I thought that was amazing. So from that statement came our title, and specifically chocolate or chicken bones. They were really adamant that this indicated that their identity is fluid and that the onus is on the people interacting with them, whether they're going to be sweet or whether they will stick in your throat, but also that you can't take them for granted. All of the photos and themes that came out of this project really disrupt a lot of those simple stories and simple stereotypes that usually make up what we hear about sex work. But one of the most interesting and most powerful ones for me was our section on travel. So throughout the project, most of our participants traveled at least once and included photos of their vacations or trips in the project. Traveling is really important because one of the stereotypes about people who do sex work is that they are exploited or trafficked. 
And not all people who are doing sex work are trafficked or exploited, and especially like not all Asian women who are participating in sex work are trafficked or exploited. And one of the ideas about trafficking or exploitation is a restriction on movement. And so these photos about traveling really disrupt that much more easy story. Our participants, they traveled, they traveled alone, they traveled on tours, they traveled with family, they traveled to visit, they traveled for work conferences with other work that they had in their lives. So because people often presume that people like our participants are trafficked, they also presume that their movement is really restricted. So our exhibition is going to be hosted at the Sum Gallery in Chinatown at 268 Kiefer Street. Our opening is January 8th, and the exhibition continues until February 5th. We've generously been given the space in the Sum Gallery by the Queer Arts Festival. We really hope that this will change a lot of mainstream conversations, as well as public perception about sex workers and who sex workers are, and especially who migrant sex workers are and what they need and maybe some of the things that they don't need that have been sort of pushed on them. In particular, we think that changing public perception happens through telling stories and people telling their own stories. It's one thing for a group of people to get around and tell their stories to each other, but we want to change policy. Something like this exhibition helps bring those stories into a public venue. It's really important that policy around sex work and sex work enforcement, particularly for migrant sex workers, changes. And Allison, in the longer term, what are some of the key systemic changes that you'd like to see to enhance the lives of the women that you work with? To address the systemic-created vulnerabilities for migrant and immigrant sex workers, the Canadian government really needs to look at particular provisions in the Immigration, Refugee and Protection Act, which prohibits foreign nationals from working in the sex industry. And secondly, to decriminalize sex work. This current legal framework that we have has really contributed to the environment in which immigrant and migrant sex workers are apprehensive towards contacting local authorities, and they choose rather to jeopardize their own safety as a result. In terms of decriminalization, we would like people to understand that this does not mean a free-for-all for the sex industry. Canada has a robust set of laws that can be enforced to virtually any crime that's perpetrated against sex workers. So that could be sexual assault, robbery, confinement, and so on. Sex workers don't need an extra set of laws if we could just have police enforce the laws against predators. What decriminalization would mean, however, is that sex workers could have the same employment standards and access to occupational health and safety that other Canadian employees enjoy. So that's what decriminalization means. And without reviewing the current legal framework, it's really difficult to build relationships with population that you are criminalizing at the same time. Eradicating the sex industry can never be done through a legal framework. If people are concerned about women in the sex industry or having to do sex work as a last resort, those energies need to be diverted to issues such as achieving gender equality, equal pay for women, safe housing, and increasing the social and health safety net. So anyone who doesn't want to work in the sex industry doesn't have to. We will never be able to stamp out the sex industry through federal laws or police enforcement action. You have been listening to my interview with Alison Clancy and Jesse Taylor of Swan Vancouver. To learn more about their work, go to swanvancouver.ca.
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Oh,